Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Right, all right. Good morning to all of you, Cafe Bitcoiners. It is Thursday. We are blasting through this week, man. This thing went by really fast. Good morning, Bitcoin Chris. Uh, good morning, Terrence. Yo. Good morning. Morning, Nate. Haven't seen you in a little bit. How you good been? Good morning. Hey, Wicked. Good morning. Morning. Michael Saylor's. Taking all of our Bitcoin. He's not taking, taking my Bitcoin. He's taking all of our Bitcoin, man. Stop, stop giving him your Bitcoin. He's got 169 days worth of block subsidies now. In case you're wondering. Does this concern you? English, bro. Say it in English, bro. <laughs> <laughs> What he's saying is that in in May of next year, it'll be over a year. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, can you just think about that for a second? All the Bitcoin that's mined in one year after the next halving, that'll be, you know, roughly the size of MicroStrategy stack. Assuming they don't stack more, (laughs) they're going to stack more, right, over the next six months or or a year, actually, because it's next having is going to be sometime in june or july next year most likely so yeah they've got another year to continue stacking and then they're going to get a halving and they're probably going to have a whole you know like a year plus worth of um you know whatever the mind mind supply the new mining rate of supply coming in is going to be after the next halving i don't know like this might be hard for people to understand right but like you have to realize, like, so when you buy Bitcoin, you have two options, right? You can either buy it from somebody who has it, and that person can either be just a regular pleb like us or an institution or a miner who's mined it. You know, you can do it. You can you can buy it from one of these people or you can mine it yourself, right? And the assumption is that, you know, most people who have Bitcoin – probably want to get more value for it than they than they originally spent on it and a lot of people who have bitcoin you know don't even want dollars in general right like they're they're holding it for you know whatever forever and so you know like you you kind of look at like okay well then what's what's the the incoming supply of like brand new bitcoin right the bitcoin being mined and you know which will most likely be sold in order to 
pay for all those mining, you know, operational expenses, right? Paying for the energy, the upkeep of the miners, the payment of the, you know, employees, all that stuff, right? They usually sell their Bitcoin they mine in order to pay for that shit. And right now there's 900 Bitcoin a day being mined, right? That's just, that's the rate. It's, it's, a, it's a fairly constant rate. And that's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin. It's like a, a predictable amount of supply coming in right um, around 900 a day every day day in day out and that announcement microstrategy just made is is they bought 13.7 days worth right of 900 bitcoin being mined a day like that's how much they bought right <laughs> it brought up to 169 days of, of of all the bitcoin that's been mined you know so it's like these numbers are just crazy one one company is doing this right one company has kind of figured this game out and they're fucking like you know they're going balls deep and just imagine it's like you've got like a couple more companies who figure it out or even a couple more nation states who figure it out and things start getting really crazy man so exactly i was I just know. saying that in a tweet earlier i was like well we're just talking about michael strategies we haven't even talked about tether we haven't talked about any other countries we haven't talked about labs right we haven't talked about any of that we're just talking about one company so i agree with there you. are here's the other thing there are ten thousand michael saylor equivalents in the world there are ten thousand other individuals who have the capacity to direct their yeah, institutions one, to one do what michael saylor's company. done these can you say supply shock yes yeah. He's a <laughs> you're you're actually in the matrix, Wicked. This is the first time I ever heard that. Okay. Uh yeah. a quick thought here. These next three cycles are gonna be crazy. Just as a baseline for understanding, I know it's funny math, but if you take twenty one million and divide it by just the New York Stock Exchange, there's like what, twenty eight hundred something companies last time I counted, probably a little more or less. I don't know. But around that number, it's around 7,500 Bitcoin per company, just as like a little baseline of understanding. Hey, Wicked, why are you so bearish on hash rate? Wicked's reconnecting. He's super bearish on hash rate. I do not understand. Takes me by surprise. Shout out to Gosla, Victoria in the audience from Riot, throwing you an invite. No obligation if you are, are busy. All right, let's let's do some Wicked, news. We're Wicked, also going to do Wicked. Sorry, one he's, second. Alex. He's coming back. He's coming okay. back. Uh, Wicked. Why are you so bearish on hash rate? I don't know what just happened. I I got lost for a second. You said that uh, lost the having was going to happen in Ju June or July. Why are you so bearish on hash rate? Uh, oh yeah, no, my bad, my bad. You're right, you're right, you're right. April, we're we're shooting for uh, 420. Thank you. Yeah. That I is got my month mixed up. I was I was thinking four. So this is okay. So here's a little secret. I didn't learn my months, like the 12 months, until I was probably about like 20 years old. So I still have problems with those sometimes. Like I see a four, and I'll be like, yeah, June or July. <laughs> Apple. I don't know what it is, man. Yeah, it's I only got like well, I have zero brain cells, so that's probably what it is. 
so I have some cool numbers that can help paint the picture that Wicked was telling about, you know, these these big purchases like and these epochs. So, you know, from 2009 to 2012, that, you know, epoch one or whatever, it's 10, 10, the distribution was 10,500. Oh, wait, sorry. 10,500,000 Bitcoin in that epoch. Epoch two from 2012, 2016, you know, you cut it in half, 5,250,000 Bitcoin mined or added to the supply. So, so slow down there, slow down. So basically half of all the Bitcoin supply that will ever exist roughly was mined and issued in the first four years of Bitcoin's existence. Whatever yeah, you know what? Wicked taught me this. Is. Wicked yeah. taught me this with his animation. He has a great animation that shows like these epochs and the and the supply, like the first one being 50%. And it's sick. So I, I don't know if you can point people to that video, but that was the one I actually learned all of that. I was like, whoa, like I had no idea that that even worked that way. Oh, when it coincides with the number of Bitcoin in the in the uh, reward and the subsidy, yeah, yeah, it's sick. Uh, let's see. So then, 2016, 2020, that's the third epoch, and it was you know you cut it in half again, two million six hundred twenty-five thousand uh, bitcoins, you know, mined in that epoch. Now we're living through the fourth one, 2020 to 2024, and at the end of this, we will have you know added one million three hundred twelve thousand five hundred bitcoin to supply we're coming up quick on the next halving so the next epoch epoch 5 2024 through 2028 at the end of 2028 we should expect to have only mined 656,250 bitcoin so you see what's happening here and then you have a company like microstrategy come in and just <laughs> stack mega stack 100 and whatever i mean it's like Holy moly. Those are rookie numbers. Got to pump those numbers up. Good morning, Dom Bay. Also, welcome to the stage, Gazla. Hey, good morning. How is everyone? Charming, handsome, and humble. Thank you. <laughs> what up, y'all? Hey, Gazla. What's going on? Oh, nothing other than uh, I take it you saw our announcement last week or wait, this week, this week. We just had Pierre on the show, I think. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. So, you know, you're up to speed. Kind of. I mean, what what's exciting to you? Oh, I'm excited for um, the uh, What's Miners in Corsicana I'm excited. I don't think we talked about the what's miners in Corsicana. Corsicana. What is this about? Oh, yeah. We um, we inked our purchase for our first uh, 200 megawatts, and it's our first time going to what miners. It's very cool. How many, okay, out of curiosity, how many engineers do you guys have or technicians do you have on each one of these kind of sites uh, to keep all this stuff running and racking and all that stuff? Uh, so uh, technical engineer, like people who are actually engineers aren't really, they're more building the site and there's probably like five or six, but we have uh, like 
over a hundred technicians kind of doing maintenance of infrastructure, machines, site. Very cool. All right, let's enter the show. We're 13 minutes in. Uh, welcome to Cafe Bitcoin. If you're new, we do talk about Bitcoin here. Our mission for this show is to provide the signal in a sea of noise, teach the other 7 billion people on this planet why there is hope because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. Today's show, we'll be covering some Bitcoin news. We're going to dig into some beginner Q&A. Second half of the show, we've got Hafa Zaguri from Swan, a.k.a. Alpha Zeta, the creator of the Nakamoto Portfolio. Coming on, and Nat Burdell as well is going to co-host. And we're going to be talking about Nakamoto Portfolio and the amazing stuff going on there. Dom Bay's got a new uh, show that he's hosting called the Nakamoto Gauntlet, where they are basically analyzing the portfolios of large pension funds. And I hope they're going to analyze other things. Uh, and it's it's this is groundbreaking stuff, guys. This has never happened before. The tools that have been produced and the, the way that... Uh, these guys are able to dig in and analyze these portfolios by adding certain amounts of Bitcoin and then backtesting is pretty mind-blowing uh, and I suspect uh, may be responsible for getting some of these large and larger pension funds into the game. Uh, if that kind of coincides with the whole BlackRock Bitcoin ETF thing and all of this is pure speculation and kind of thinking through the scenarios here, but if that were to happen, the BlackRock ETF then provides them a vehicle that they can actually invest in. Yes, they don't get to hold the Bitcoin themselves, but it will affect the supply-demand dynamics in the ecosystem. So this is, uh, for those of us who are holding our own Bitcoin, in my opinion, that's a pretty big deal. All right, other stuff. What's going on? Here's a cool quote, quote of the day. Bitcoin is the first software network capable of storing all the monetary energy in the world with no loss of power over time. Assuming broad adoption, that would make it the most valuable invention of the modern era. Few understand this. Anybody can tell me who said that? If you tell me that's Lowry, I'm going to get heated. There's no guesses. That's say that was Sailor. Sailor, yeah, yeah. got to be Sailor. Oh, yeah, you got me like that before. You were quoting some kind of Lowry tweet, and I threw up like a fist bump. I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, that's like, awesome. Yeah, that was Jason Lowry, like oh. <laughs> Vitalik. <laughs> oh my god. Craig Wright. Um, how valuable is it, Alex? How valuable is what? What are we talking about? How valuable is Bitcoin? The whole Bitcoin network. I guess it depends on how you want to measure it. But how how do you think you would measure value? If you're measuring the value of the Bitcoin network. Sounded Come like Robert Greenberg. Come on, Alex. I, I get where are you going with this? You tell me. 
Like I, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, of human energy and wealth and all the stuff, all the things, but do you have something else you're thinking of? I mean, what are we talking about here? Like what's the measuring stick? That's it's worth about 21 million. Pixels. Oh yeah. Look, if you're, if you're literally talking about capturing all the monetary energy in the world, with no loss of power over time, he's literally making a comparison to energy, energy production and energy deployment, right? This is the way I think about money. I've talked to a lot of physicists who disagree with this because they're basically going by their textbook definition of what energy is uh, capable of doing work. But to me, like my, the way my brain thinks about it, because of being involved in gold, I've always likened money basically to to an ener an energy battery what kind of energy well all energy including human energy because if you go back in the back in time you know an ounce of gold there was a time in human history where you could literally buy a, a man's life for life for an ounce of gold okay well why well because it was at that point in time roughly that was what it took to dig an ounce out of the ground with the technology that they had available it was literally storing your your human time and energy in a way and that's the way i look at money is it's a battery to do that and it stores other things too but all energy being produced today if it can be stored in bitcoin and then transported instantly at the speed of light to the other end of the solar system and then redeployed again i mean that's a pretty big advancement in in human capability is it not I think, uh, Alex, that actually that came with the development of money over the period of society. What Bitcoin has done is, is added the incorruptibility to that money and the ease of transfer. I, I, what you're saying isn't untrue. It's just that money was the first thing. And now we, we've just engineered money in such a better way. Uh, uh, Nakamoto has engineered money in such a better way as to give all of the attributes of money to it and make it incorruptible. I think that's sort of what you're getting at. Am I right with that? No, I actually think money was not the first thing. I think human labor and wealth creation was the first thing. And then once you have wealth, what is the definition of wealth? Well, wealth is anything up and above what it costs you to survive. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, right? You've got your basic, you need shelter. You need to not die from the elements. You need clothes, you need food. Um, you need some very basic things to survive as a human and not have all of your attention focused on, am I going to die tomorrow? You need water. You, need, you understand? So once you have established these things when you're working and generating things that other humans want, now you have wealth. Now you have an excess up and above what it costs you to survive as a human. This is wealth. And we, as humans, then we had to figure out, well, how the hell are we going to store our wealth? Yeah, and, and, and there goes, yeah, store of wealth. It's either in, you know, a pile of firewood or, like I said, the development of, of what we call a monetary premium, you know, and why is there a monetary premium? Because it's hard to get. Uh, gold doesn't have that many uses in, uh, like you were talking about, gold didn't have that many uses as far as, except for decorative, uh, and basically showing how much wealth you had. Uh, the monetary premium that we put on it is basically that battery that you're talking about. No, 
I'll, okay, I'll be. I'll, hey, listen, I'll be the punching bag. I don't, I don't agree mind. with that. Okay, no, no that's I, fine. I don't, I'm not. I'm not looking at you as a punching bag either. I'm. I'm simply saying that I don't think that. I think that. Uh, like, where does monetary premium come from? That's a great question. Uh, okay, I don't I, have. I don't have. I don't have that answer. Well, think it through. Think. Think about it. What? Why? Why does is monetary premium created? Because monetary it, it's premium all, comes from scarcity. No, it doesn't. Okay. No, Talk it doesn't. What's a super scarce element? Pick any super scarce element. Pokemon cards. He really had to go there? He did. Okay. Uh, just think of any element on the periodic table that's extremely rare. Does it, does it hold a massive monetary premium? No, not necessarily. So that is not the criteria. Okay, so what is the criteria to generate monetary premium? Here's another way to say it. Why do prices of things, aside from inflation, go up? Why do why are homes what they are? Why are stocks what they are? Aside from inflation, what is the reason that these these prices go up? People on are you talking about demand. Somebody said somebody said demand. Is that where we headed with this? Yeah, it's it's people want it. It's human beings desire it, and because human beings desire it, now you have this 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 two sides of this equation where there's a certain amount of supply, there's a certain amount of human demand for a thing. So humans are going to start buying it, which is going to start bidding up the price. Absent inflation, that's the equation, right? Uh, let's, let's back up and clarify price just so that we're all on the same page here. Because when we're talking about price, we're not talking about fiat. We're talking about actual work that needs to be done in order to acquire something. And, and that's where it kind of gets uh, complex. Uh, so kind of, let's kind of clarify what that means. Well, price usually for the most part is, is people speaking in U.S. dollar terms. We could ask the question, well, how are you measuring, you know, the value of the Bitcoin network in the future? And where I was going with that is you measure it in energy. Like if you, if you. As in you, productivity. Either, either productivity or literally wattage. Like, yeah, that's, that's still, know. yeah, productivity is still mildly subjective. Yeah, well, when the wicked says productivity, what I'm hearing is human productivity, not not uh, Keynesian economist productivity, which okay. is there's all kinds of monkey nonsense that goes into that. But uh, just plainly measuring energy, like you can literally measure the cost of energy based upon a certain number of cents per kilowatt hour, right? Goslin knows, probably knows a lot about this stuff, and if you look at what Ford said and Tesla said, et cetera. It's like when we have perfect money, you're literally measuring energy or it's measure it. You're, you're it's energy. And, uh, I'm, I'm maybe I'm, maybe I'm like butchering that, but that's my understanding of what they said. Okay. Good morning, Joe Collar. Sorry. How are you doing? Yeah. Save me, Joe. Yeah. Good morning. Um, no, I mean, I think you're both making great points. I mean, uh, you know, it, it depends on the asset, why it would rise, right? Like, you know, for example, you know, once we, somebody said something about stock prices, like why, why do stock prices rise? Well, they're not rising just because of inflation, they're rising because of earnings growth for future expectations of earnings growth, dividends, uh, you know, they're, they're allocating capital in such a way it is, as it is best treated based on future expectations of growth and current expectations of growth. So, it's not simply a, I mean, there is a monetary mm. premium. Alex is totally right in that in, in stocks for a variety of reasons, particularly in index based stocks investing. But, you know, at its core, you know, the, the whole point of why stocks tend to rise over time is based on what, 
what Alex also said, which was productivity and growth. Like in, in an ideal, well-functioning market, capital would allocate towards companies that are the most productive and are achieving the highest levels of earnings growth. Yeah. So here's the thing, though, Joe. You're right. But what you're what you're talking about is something that is it's basically an attractive thing, right? But if you go even the the first principles part of that is, is that absent the human demand, there it's like it there's no it doesn't exist. This is what I'm getting at with the whole money thing and with the whole monetary premium thing. And it's like if you remove humans from that equation, who the hell is going to buy those stocks? Like you know. The, the deer and the wolf in the forest don't give a crap. So it's well, yeah, all based... Who, who, would buy, who would buy anything if you removed humans? I mean, the, but that's humans. my... Pres- that is literally precisely my point. It's precisely my point. Is, is that human demand is the reason that these things have any value in, in human culture. It, absent that, it would, it, wouldn't, it would be irrelevant. This is the whole thing about money, too. I hear this stuff all the time where it's like, well, I don't trust Bitcoin because I can't hold it in my hand. It's like, well, what, what do you think exactly gives money value? Why do why is a thing money in the first place? Because two, two humans got together and decided that it was. That's it, full stop. You look at all the different forms of money we've had all throughout human history. I mean, some of these things are freaking ridiculous. Feathers, wooden sticks, wooden sticks. Really? So what is well, it? They're, they're special wooden sticks. They're very straight. <laughs> well, well, there's no, there's no. Sorry, um, I got a call. There's no, there's no real like, there's no correct answer, right? There's this is hotly debated among economists for you know centuries. Like, is money, you know, is money have an actual utility value? Is that why you know gold has been preferred for centuries? Uh, not not just the utility value, but be, uh, but but actually industrial applications and like be a use case beyond mm. just the thing itself. Whereas you know some people say no, money's just a belief system. I know people why. Yeah, no, wait, 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 wait. I disagree with that. There, you're we're conflating two different things. The first question is what is money, and the answer is what humans agree. The next question is well, what is good money? Those are two different things. I think. What you're talking about, Joe, is economists arguing over what good money is. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Like, what is what is good money? Because theoretically, if if what you're saying is, well, you know, what is money can be anything we agree on. Then, then literally anything can be money, right? Like, yes, you know, I money. agree with that. I think that that's true. I think that that is exactly yeah. how it works. But, but some people even reject that notion. Like, some people think, no, you can't just have anything. It has to fulfill certain criteria. Otherwise, but they're it wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, <I'm, laughs> because if you study history like literally humans have, have used things as money that make no fucking sense at all and there's well, no utility well, no. value in any so, of it so you know the talked about safety's book right he talks about the whatever the rocks or the stones on the island and he and he explained how you know yes they there was a social consensus there was a widely held belief that these things constitute money until there was a disruption of the rocks like they actually found a bunch more of them and that that threw everything in right but that changed what the belief changed the social system right exactly so it's right back to what i was saying (laughs) so so what i'm saying is though like the the hard some hardcore uh more sound money philosophers out there would say no that was never money to begin with it was just a mistaken understanding like right now you can make an argument to to your point do you do you believe stocks are money like is is a share of the sby you know, is that money? 
And some people would say, yes, I don't think it is. I don't think it, it, it and, and you could say like, well, what socially, you know, we, that's our money. That's how we sort save, but, but it does not satisfy the, the tangible necessary mm. requirement. Okay. But see, now right. we're, now we're getting into the weeds of the definitions of, of money. But when I'm thinking of it, I'm thinking of, well, what are, what are we storing value in? What are we storing energy in? It could be argued that a pile of lumber is stored energy. It could be argued that a, that a, uh, you know, a, a, a stock of gold bricks is stored energy. Are these things necessarily you're, you're money? Arguing. No, but my, in my, in the context I'm using, that's what I'm talking about. The storage of value. Yeah. So you're arguing that a store of value is, is money regardless of whether it's good or bad money. Nah. No, I'm not making an argument for that. That's just kind of the way I'm I'm saying it. Maybe I'm imprecise in that and I'm not trying to like confuse people, but I'm I was just sharing how I, I think about it. I've got I a wasn't question. Trying to knows. convince anybody what yeah, go ahead. Do you know when when was the first industrial use of gold, like aside from just jewelry? Like what was gold used for for the for the first time industrially? Oof. What is the definition of industrial use because I, and, and, I mean well, jewelry was, manufacturer is industrial nah, to a degree not really because I mean. jewelry is just another way of showing you how are storing value it's just like it's, it's projecting your wealth i don't really count that i think i like, think the first thing that comes to mind is conductivity and electricity right i so don't really know the answer been. to your question wicked yeah i'm not sure i'm curious like when when that would have actually you know, like, like Wicked, are you referring to using gold for its mechanical or physical properties, like outside of money? Is that what you're talking about? Right. Yeah. When did gold? No, I, I think it's, it's older monetary. than electricity. I think it actually goes back to dentistry because that cause uh, it was so malleable. I okay. I got Yeah. And it was used in dentistry as opposed to other metals because it's malleable. It's well, it doesn't decay. It doesn't corrode. Okay. My yeah, guess. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. The corrosion is a big one. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and that, that was, that was being, that being done like along. thousands of years ago, right? I think like Egyptians did that and, and stuff. I could throw a whole other monkey wrench in your thought process here, Alex, if you don't mind me tossing it at you. Yeah, please do. I think that uh, as I'm, my mind's kind of wandering here. So these are raw thoughts. So help me polish them. I'm good with that. But as we talk about money, I'm thinking, you know what? Money isn't necessary unless there is a priority of the sanctity of the right of property. And these society's actual priority of that. No, <laughs> wait wait a, minute. a second. That's a big thing. Because otherwise I know. That, I was just going to ask you to unpack those words. I didn't fully. Like, All right. Yeah. Unpack so, what you just said. If you and I, if you have something that I want, why wouldn't I just beat you up and take it? In simplest terms. But because yeah, this is, I, yeah. but because you and I agree that each one of us has a right of the property that we have created or have earned, then some something of tradable value is necessary. And without that understanding that we each have an individual right of property, then money becomes less of a priority within that society, especially considering how good that money is or how much value is retained with the money within that society. How's that for Mickey Wrench? I now I think you're conflating two different things. I think the human desire and need to store the fruit of our labor is a different need and desire than the rule of law. 
the the rule of law is what you're talking about. You have to have a framework where we're not just jumping over the fence of the neighbor and smashing them in the head and taking their stuff, right? Oh, these these aren't just law. This is this is this is a moral ethic. Yeah, fair. All I'm saying is, even absent that, human beings would still feel a need to store the the fruits of their labor, regardless of whether there's rule of law or not, or morality or not. Right? That's just it's just the natural human thing, I think. Yes, but without community and an understanding of the right of that property, then you have to spend more labor in protecting that store but of value. You're you are you are basically asserting that for the thing to have value, there has to be a rule of law that establishes that value. No, that's fiat. Uh, no, that, no, that's not no, because what you you've already defined wealth, okay, and that's where we're going. If we're going to store our wealth, then something then. We either have to have a community which understands that I have the right to keep that wealth or I have to protect that wealth with, uh, with arms. It's one yeah, or the but other. That, you, but that's also, you're still conflating, I think. How do I explain this? Uh, How do we get into this did, philosophical discussion? I'm so sorry, Al, a little bit. I'm, why are you sorry? This <laughs> is what all. this show is this, for. Yeah, the beginner Q&A turned into something completely different. No, no, no. It's okay. I mean, the entire purpose of this show is like Socratic form, right? We call I love it the crucible. This. Yeah, I really like the do. idea is we take an idea and we discuss it. And if we're wrong, we destroy it. And, you know, we make fun of the person who is wrong for a little while. But everybody gets made fun of on this show. It just, it's just your turn. <laughs> hence, yeah. Right? And that's, what, and hence, hence my address of uh, polishing ideas because I'm good with that. Steel is sharp and steel. Okay, before we go any further here, Hoffa has been on the stage for a few minutes. I haven't even said good morning to him. So good morning, Hoffa, Alpha Zeta. Morning, guys. How are you guys doing today? Doing awesome. Great. Thanks for hanging here. out with us. Let, let me let me try to finish this point up with uh, Nate and Hoffa. I'd love to get your thoughts on this discussion. So, Nate, I agree that you know if you have stored wealth, you have to be able to protect it. Right. This is like. But that is not the same thing as whether other humans in that society will recognize or have consensus that that particular thing you're storing wealth in is valuable or not. That's all completely subjective and, and it's based upon the community's idea of what's valuable or not, right? Those are two different things. Like, I, I, like what you're starting to like scratch the surface of is the stuff that Lowry talks about. Lowry talks about power projection as a function of capturing resources and that all, all living creatures do this over time. And rule of law is what allows human beings to interact with each other without basically using violence uh, to trade and, and, you know, do economic things with resources. Okay. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I'm too much of a beginner to try to have read that thesis. So thank you for the TLDR because I'm totally lost with that stuff. Okay. No worries. I, I do have a clip real quick, if you uh, don't mind, from Mark Moss and Caitlin, Caitlin Long. Hit it. All right. And um, they're pretty much just going over like what gives Bitcoin value or anything, money value in general. So I'll go ahead and play it now. And ships or, you know, national parks, right? There are, there are some assets there, but the government itself is insolvent. It, it's I say it's only, as good, it's only as good as the next person will take it from me. Well, but that's the point, right? This, this gets to, once you make that leap, you just made the most important leap to understanding 
why Bitcoin has value. And a lot of folks who were trained in a traditional world think that money has to be backed by something. No, what you just said is brilliant. Everything is subjective. Yeah. Everything. Okay. It, it, once you realize that, that piece of paper in your wallet with a picture of a dead president in green ink, the intrinsic value of that is a fraction of a penny. It's just a piece of linen with some green ink on it. But yet, why is it that that I can trade one of those pieces of paper that says a dollar, one dollar on it for a can of Coca-Cola? Because it's a recognized medium of exchange. What makes it recognized, even though its intrinsic value is virtually zero, is because somebody else accepts it right. as that. It's all subjective. It is always all subjective. Always, yep. and, and once you realize that it's always all subjective, that's why Bitcoin has value. So many people say, so many smart people, so many well-trained, including economics PhDs, will say Bitcoin has no value because it's not backed by anything. Which what you got to realize is neither is the U.S. dollar. It's yeah. not backed by anything. The full faith and credit of the U.S. government is as ephemeral as anything. In fact, I would much rather trust math than trust trust the laws of math than trust the laws of math. The, the backed by something. Or, you know, math. Yeah. Thank you for playing that. Uh, she, she basically saying exactly what I was just saying. Same thing. Exactly. Who is that? Caitlin Long. All right. And I think I was just breaking it down into variables that kind of go into that. Yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing. You have the storage of wealth, Nate, and then you have the protection of that wealth. And that's the other thing that she was alluding to when it comes to Bitcoin is, is that, and this is also, by the way, whether you guys like it or not, part of what Jason Lowry's argument is, is that Bitcoin is, an, is, is asymmetrically powerful in terms of protection. Like, I, and I said this in the space the other day, is that like there's this saying, Smith & Wesson had this marketing slogan, it's like God created man, but Smith & Wesson made him equal. What they're trying to say there is that tool is the thing that, that equalized the um, force projection capabilities of humans, right? But how do you protect your money against governments? How do you protect your money against like an entrenched fiat banking system that is designed really to, to steal your time and your, your wealth over time? Well, the answer is in a system that they cannot project any force against. Like the, 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 there, there's no way to take your Bitcoin short of torturing and killing you. It's, it's pretty impressive. It's, 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 it's amazing to me. No, and I'm totally on board with that. And that's one of the things that I talk about is the cost of uh, storing and self-custodying. Cu speaking is hard. Sorry, guys. Uh, to hold it in self-custody. <laughs> yeah, I'm so trying so hard. Um, but uh, to the cost of storing your value yourself with Bitcoin has drastically been reduced when you consider how much it costs. And we've talked about this to protect your wealth, you know, to try to store your gold, you need vaults or cameras or security or what have you. You don't need that with Bitcoin. And that's one of the attributes that that makes but, it what you're talking about. But think about why that's the case, though. Think about why that's the case. Okay, what's the traditional method? You, you have the banking system, right? We would store our originally it was it, when it was gold, you would store the the gold with the with the guys with the vaults and the guards and all that other kind of stuff. And then it became banks and they have all this infrastructure and they're paying all this money basically theoretically to keep your keep your wealth safe. Um for but now for a fee, yeah, right. But now 
like you could take self-custody. You could memorize those words. You could lose the hardware wallet. And assuming, I mean, you don't want to do this. I'm just giving you an example. You don't want to do this because you could bonk your head and forget, right? But but it, it is possible. You can do that. So then what is actually protecting that wealth? What's protecting it, in my opinion, I could be wrong, Wicked or Ant, correct me if I'm thinking about this incorrectly, but like what's protecting it is almost 400 exahash of computing power per second, which is the most powerful thing really we've ever created. Like well, if you ask Sailor, he'll, he'll say that the power projection, maybe not use these words, but I've heard him say something similar to this. I'm paraphrasing him. The power projection of the Bitcoin network is more powerful than the United States Navy. And he literally breaks it down into, into energy units to explain why that's true. And, and don't, don't forget Alex too, like the important part of the, that the nodes play in that protection too. It's like having a system of like accountants that are peeking into every vault and making sure that everything really is there. And you're not just banking on the trust of the banking system that doesn't really check and confirm anything or audit. Yeah. And stuff. At least, at least, Maybe not anything, but not as consistently as the the Bitcoin node button does. They can't they can't audit it because otherwise they couldn't do double entries and clawbacks and all the other shenanigans that they pull. Okay, I want to get Hoffa's input on this discussion. Oh man, this is this is a long one. <laughs> I've been trying to organize my thoughts here, so um, I, I'll give it a go. And uh, feel free to stop me and uh, yell at me if I'm saying something that you think it uh, doesn't make too much sense. But uh, you know, this is fascinating. It's a fascinating topic. I think there are a lot of branches that get out of uh, the topic of what is money and security and all of that. I'll tell you how I think about it. And again, maybe right or wrong, but it's kind of like how I how I try to conceptualize this. I think, Alex, you're right. In a metaphorical sense, right, uh, you can say that money, I think money is the ultimate uh, way of store energy, right? It's the ultimate proof of work. There's There was proof of work that was done at some point by somebody at the expense of their time, their effort, their resources, right, which are all forms of energy. Uh, and uh, they have to put it somewhere, right? In the past, uh, when we didn't have money, they would find something, you know, that uh, was scarce or couldn't be replicated. I mean, we all read the books, heard the stories, right? So that's what we would do. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the, then we pass through time and then we start to think about, okay, so what ultimately is going to be the best way to store that energy, right? So we defined already that money is a stored energy, right? That's why we need money because we work too much and, uh, you know, it's the, the butcher that, you know, has too many cows and uh, has to sell it to somebody else, right? And wants to exchange the cows to a dentist appointment, right? So instead of doing all of that, we have a kind of like a, a common asset or common assets, right? That would represent that we've worked, we spend the energy in some sort of way, or somebody spent that energy in some sort of way, right? And that's stored somewhere. Uh, I think the problem we have as we go a long time, right? Is that exactly because some for forms of money that we have uh, they start not being good for several reasons, right? I think the ultimate one that we know and we talked about a lot is just, you know, 
pure money, physical money, right? Coins and 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 notes uh, that can be stolen from you just by inflation, right? Right? Quantitative easing. It's it's the end of the day. It's it's just they're stealing your your money, right? Uh, so we've been trying to find because people realize that with time and start to see that okay, if I just leave my money sitting down in cash, right? Ultimately, my work, my proof of work is going to be worth less and less with time. This doesn't, you know, in in two years may not be too much, but in ten years, twenty years, thirty years, forty years, the money is gone. So we, with time, I think we've been trying to find alternative ways to store that energy uh, collectively, right? And you know, just leave a thought here. We talked about stocks as being, uh, and by the way, this is when this this is the the thinking process around this was what actually got me to to write the Schrödinger model because I started thinking exactly like, oh, people are storing this monetary premium that they created it's their own energy you know that was spent some, somewhere and they need to store it somewhere right so they look at different assets but think about it this way if you look at the S&P right the S&P since the since 1999 since the early 2000 right pretty much 5x from from that uh, from from that point now look at euro stocks Euro stocks is exactly at the same point that it was in, in 2000. It's exactly at the same level right now. Brazilian stocks are at the same level that they were you know, almost 20 years ago. Why is that, right? Well, they have good companies there. Yeah, they have very good companies, right? Are they less productive than the U.S.? Maybe a little bit, but you know, does that 4x, 5x less productive? You know, I, I would argue that's probably not. So why is that? Well, one of the reasons, you know, that uh, I think you know, pretty sure happens is that there's a flow of capital that goes into the S&P because historically the S&P has been a good store of value. So people look at that, and that's kind of like a self-fulfilling psychological thing, also, you know, because it has been in the past then it tends to continue to be in the future until it breaks, right? We've seen assets in the past that were very good store of value, and then at some point, it just, that correlation just completely broke. Um, I think, you know, and then we move into Bitcoin, right? And uh, I think Bitcoin is ultimately the, the best money because, you know, it's, first of all, we know that it moves very well along space, a long time. But also, it's very cheap to protect, right? If you have gold, for example, you're not going to be able to move it along uh, around too much. And also, it's expensive. You know, you're going to have to pay vaults. You're going to have to have insurance, right? If you really have a lot of gold, you're going to have to have a lot of people looking into that. And it's just uh, easy to see honeypots, right, uh, that it's going to be there somewhere. It's it's different with uh, with Bitcoin. And I think for the first time, we have an asset that it, it, is, it has these characteristics that... Uh, Again, it's easy to move along time space. It's easy to memorize, right? You can't prove that somebody has Bitcoin, right? Uh, you know, you look in the blockchain, you don't know, you don't know who owns those uh, those coins. You know, there's an address behind them, right? Uh, so that's kind of like the way I think about it. And and then just going back at you know, we we had a discussion at the beginning around trying to value all of this. And this is exactly why, you know, I, I started to conceptualize the Schrodinger model, because as you move this monetary premium that is X, right? I just showed you that the, 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 the S&P 500 has a premium over the euro stock for some reason, right? Part of that, yeah, it's better companies, you know, it's innovation, but uh, part of that is also because it's monetized. So as that premium, as people realize that there is a better asset, there's a better place to store their capital, their energy, right, than leaving in the S&P, which has downside risk or in real estate or, you know, in silver or in several other assets, this capital is going to flow into better uh, as it did in the past, right? Uh, it, it, a lot of the monetary premium that was in gold, 
flowed into the S&P and, and real estate and other assets. And that's going to continue. And the next step we're going to see is that it's all going to go to, to Bitcoin. And, you know, uh, what I try to do there is to get to what, what this really represents in terms of, uh, of value. And uh, the bottom line is that it's just very, very early. All right. When you say that it's all going to flow to Bitcoin, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think in terms of the monetary premium, right, this premium, which is hard to isolate, how much of the, the S&P value is because it's a, it's a store of value, right? It's people just looking for a safe place to store their energy. I don't know, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 20%, maybe it's 50%, maybe it's but, 90%. But, but functionally, what does that look like? Is it people realizing that their stocks are going to be worth less Bitcoin in the future, so they sell them for you know, whatever amount of Bitcoin they're worth now. And then it's just kind of a perpetual, you know, realization uh, amongst the next bag holder. Yep. <laughs> like you're just basically just passing on this hot potato, which is, you know, going to be worth less and less and less Bitcoin until it finds some equilibrium, I suppose. Exactly. Exactly right. Like I wrote a piece on real estate, right? And why real estate has a lot of flaws and people use it a lot as a store of value with second homes, vacation homes and all of that. And we see with our clients as one, how many of them tell me, yeah, I know, I just sold, you know, a second property that I had and I'm now I'm going to put all in Bitcoin, right? Uh, this is happening already. It's just that it's happening. It's, a, you know, it's an individual by individual by individual. So we're only going to realize what has really happened and the effect of all this when we zoom out, you know, after five years, 10 years and we look back like, wow, look, and actually happening, right? Just look at where Bitcoin was five years ago, 10 years ago, right? Or said, said, said the other way, look at the price of houses five years ago, 10 years ago in terms of Bitcoin. Because I think it, it, sometimes it's difficult yep. to think, you know, when, when you're trying to do this, this, you're talking about monetary premium getting sucked out of, of everything else. But then you're also thinking in terms of dollars. I think that can kind of muddy the waters, but, but it might help if you just start thinking about these things that Bitcoin is sucking the monetary premium out of. What are they worth in terms of Bitcoin and how is that trending? And you see how they've, you know, they're basically just getting cheaper and cheaper, right? Until they reach some, <laughs> some level that we can all, that all humans agree on, right? Like this house is worth this much Bitcoin. And then even then, right, it, it probably still trends lower <laughs> over time. Exactly. And I think a lot of people think about Bitcoin, the network, right? And they will think about adoption curves and say, yeah, you know, at some point, that curve is, is just going to be asymptotic, right? You're going to reach a point that it doesn't grow anymore, which may be true for the network. It's definitely not true for the asset Bitcoin because Bitcoin is priced on something that, you know, as it grows, by definition, fiat is going to lose value. So probably the network, yeah, the network is going to have an adoption curve that, you know, it's going to at some point is going to, it's going to grow less and less and less. Uh, but the price, it's probably going to be S-shaped where you have this, you think that it's starting to stop, but then it's just going to escalate and explode to the upside on the right side because, you know, again, fiat just doesn't make any more sense to hold fiat and things are being priced in Bitcoin, right? You know, the interesting thing about, thing about the, um, the S&P 500, Rafa, is that as this progresses, those companies will begin putting bitcoin on their balance sheets some of those companies will have more bitcoin on their balance sheets than others and that makes 
as a as an investment tool that makes will make will make more sense to people and so some of that premium won't leave those particular um indexes and companies because of that transition it's happening already right hey alex did you did you read this this tweet thread from this guy bram canstein that he put out yesterday have you seen that no is it good what's it about <clears throat> it is he uh, i can i can i read just a couple of quick short excerpts from it sure Okay, so he says, imagine this, you work at a job, you're putting in physical, mental energy, you needed to produce results. In return, you receive what we call monetary energy, your salary or your profit. Um, this is what we call money. And then he says, however, the value of your money de gradually decreases over time due to the printing of new money by central banks. These centralized powers add new money energy to the system we use to exchange energy with each other. But they, this newly added money energy was not earned by putting in the work energy. I just thought it was really, he's got this thread. It's a really good thread. Um, and then he says, but it's worth the same money energy that you did put the work in for. Does that sound right? And it's just a really interesting uh, thread um, that really, it's, it's, I thought you guys maybe were talking about this because I came into the show late. But he does a really great job of kind of explaining this idea. And then he goes into, um, you know, imagine the network as this cube of energy and you can play in this cube of energy as long as you want. And anybody can because the rules are set and you can exchange your energy within within this cube of energy. Um, and it's totally decentralized, et cetera. So anyways, I, I just, it's a really good thread. It might be something worth, um, yeah. worth taking a look at. Very cool. That's a Bram Canstein. Is that what you said? Yeah, I put, I put a link to, I put a, I put a link to the thread. It actually is weird. You go to the thread and then it pushes you to a web page, uh, a web version of Twitter for the actual thread. Cause it's, it's not too long, but it's, you know, it's a five minute read, maybe, maybe three minute read. Um, but yeah, right, I put cool. it in the back channel. You know, we were doing a, a swan salon in Miami a couple of months ago, and um, I had a guy swan there as a guest. And I, one thing that he said was freaking mind blowing. Like it was like a classic quote. I've not, and I, I don't think I'll ever forget it. He said, "Don't work for money that another man can make for free." And like when he said that, you could just tell the entire crowd was like, "Holy shit." Yeah, that's pretty good. You guys don't know how to make Bitcoin for free? <laughs> hey, puppy. Good morning. Hey. Hey, break time here from Fiat Mining. Where else would you rather be than hanging out the cafe? <laughs> how you guys doing today? Awesome, man. Good to see you, puppy. Reopening oh, on yeah. my coffee personally right now. Let's do a little. Let's do a little beginner Q and A type stuff. I have a question that came in by text. Let's uh, let's hit this really quick. So this is from Ryan. He goes, "Hi Alex, saw you're doing Q and A today. Saw your post on Twitter this morning. Can you talk more about how someone can function without a bank account?" So I'm guessing th there's a lot of people that are essentially unbanked or have a hard time getting bank accounts. 
and our system is set up to penalize people. Like if you fall off the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder in the Western world, you're continually crushed. Like it's like a, it's not a good, it's not a good system because it, 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 instead of like giving a ha helping hand and helping people back into the system and helping them back up, it like doubles down on crushing those people and it's not good. But uh, anyway, he goes without a bank account, as far as Bitcoin as using Bitcoin instead, most apps require you to link a bank account to even buy Bitcoin. Thanks. So the short answer to this is you can go out and do work for Bitcoiners who can pay you in Bitcoin, or you can go out and you can do work for dirty fiat dollars, maybe get paid in dollars if you don't have a bank account and give that to someone who will give you Bitcoin. That would be my answer. And also, by the way, that is how Bitcoin will be redistributed in the future as well. Yeah. Uh, you can okay. also, you can also um, work for fiat and have it converted by strike, for instance. Um, and I'm not sure, does Swan provide this also? Where No, no, no. He's literally, you're missing it. He's literally saying, what if you don't have a bank account? Like if you're using Strike, you have to get the money into Strike, right? No, you can direct deposit yeah, you can direct into Strike your employer. or Cash App. Yeah, but I that's mean, still that's to go through a bank account because like I do that. bank accounts, yeah. So it's kind of like we're we're basically saying, well, you can get like this pseudo bank account. <laughs> no, no, but I think Alex, well, yeah, but it gives you, but it gets you Bitcoin so that then you can become the bank. Well, no, you're missing that, what I'm saying. You're missing yeah, it. Like Strike and Cash App aren't gonna you know, bank you because X, Y, Z. So I think what Alex was saying is right. Like, you know, basically you, you work for somebody who has a Bitcoin already and then they pay you in Bitcoin. You find a company that has the Bitcoin already, they pay you in Bitcoin, you know, whatever. Like that's, that's kind of, that's, you know, or, or you work for cash and then you convert it to Bitcoin like a Bitcoin ATM or, you know, peer to peer or whatever. Right. Those are kind of the only options. And during this early adoption distribution phase you know it's 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 not necessarily easy to find someone who has bitcoin that wants to employ you right like <laughs> you know it's like it's going to take some effort to to either gain the skills necessary to do the work for a bitcoiner or to find the bitcoiner in the first place that wants to hire you um but well, I, buy you know, my, as, I buy my eggs with bitcoin right yeah. So like, there you go. You can become a chicken farmer, but like, you're going to have to gain the skills to learn how to farm chickens. Like, you know what I'm saying? But like, yeah. So, so during these earlier periods, it is more difficult, right? It's not, you know, like it's not easy. You can't just like go work at McDonald's and get paid in Bitcoin, but eventually you probably will be able to, I mean, imagine, I don't know, hopefully within a decade, every company will, will offer, you know, paying their employees in Bitcoin I think that the demand there will be pretty substantial from people who will just realize that they want to get paid in Bitcoin. And don't the want other thing else. you need to do is you need to ask somebody if they can pay you in Bitcoin, because you'd be surprised. Now, whenever I go into a store, I ask, do you take Bitcoin? I assume the answer is going to be no, but I ask just because I want to do my part to um, begin to associate people with Bitcoin as payment. But also every now and then somebody says, yeah, I'll take Bitcoin because a couple they, of, sorry, I thought you were done. I'm done. He was going to say because Bitcoin's awesome. No, you know, because, 
no, I was going to say because um, because they 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 already have Bitcoin, so they understand its value or or they want a little more or whatever, you know, so but they kind of already have to have have it privately. Their business may or may not um, take it, but they'll take it. Okay, a quick story and then a quote and then a thought. So the story is I have a client uh, who has a beautiful property that he invited me out. We were hanging out and he had this guy building a chicken coop under his house, like a carpenter building like all this stuff. And like he went to go to here before this happened, by the way, we were sitting in his house and he was talking to me during the evening prior to this day. And he's like, one thing I'm worried about, Alex, is how is everybody going to get Bitcoin? And I was like, well, at some point it's going to get distributed because people who have the Bitcoin will pay people who don't have the Bitcoin. And he's like, I don't know about that. The next day, the carpenter's working on his house, right? And he tries to pay the carpenter. I think it was, I don't know, Venmo or something. But he hit the hit the monetary limits, how much he could send. And he was like, damn, I can't pay you, man. And he's like, and then he was like, oh. And he asked him, would you like me to pay you in Bitcoin? The guy's like, yeah, sure. Why not? So he pays the guy in Bitcoin, right? And then a week later, the guy's talking to him. He's like, dude, thank you so much for paying me in Bitcoin. So I'm like 10% today. All right. So the, he literally, the light bulb went on. He's like, oh, damn, that is exactly how it's going to happen. And then there's a quote by Jason Lowry. He said that hum, human history is going to be divided into two, two halves or two eras, or maybe not half is the right word, but I'm paraphrasing him. And he's like, it's going to be the group of people who figured out Bitcoin and bought Bitcoin before the God candle hit. And it's going to be all the other people who are working for the people who have the Bitcoin after that moment in time. And so here's a tip. This is the last point. Bitcoiners do this all the time. I do this all the time. I offer to pay people tips and bit. Would you like your tip in Bitcoin or US dollars? Here's a, here's a, here's a thought. If someone offers you Bitcoin as a tip, take it and don't spend it. Just hang on to it. Or pass it on to the next person that you tip. Um, I do know that it's a little bit easier to get a bank account on Cash App. And correct me if I'm wrong. I know I know that they do. I know that they do probably do, you know, ID or when I set up my to give my friends like Bitcoin, they have to like upload their ID and all that good stuff. So I know sometimes that may be an issue for some people, but, you know, to that person that asked that question, Alex, I would tell them, you know, hey, try to get a bank because you can get a bank account pretty much on Cash App. And then at that point, that can be your bank account. That would be my suggestion. And, you know, start start asking to get paid in Bitcoin, you know. Just another one to add in here. Um, yeah, if you literally do not have a bank account and obviously um, <laughs> Not everyone is accepting Bitcoin as of yet, but what you can do, I know um, there's probably multiple companies, but I know one of like, I believe uh, CoinDebit is one where you can use your Bitcoin and get a, you get a virtual basically debit card. So if, if you're trying to buy an airline ticket or buying something online, you use CoinDebit, you convert your Bitcoin into this debit card and all of a sudden, boom, there you go. No bank account needed and uh, you've got a visa. And actually, Alex, what's crazy is that he asked that question. That's just one person. There's almost six million people in the U.S. that don't have a that don't have a bank account. So it's a bigger problem than we realize. So you it's know, a huge it's a, problem. Yeah, it's a huge problem. And nationwide, nationwide, worldwide, I think it's about a couple billion. 
I'm not 100 percent sure. I, I tweeted. Yeah, it's even it's even worse. Like uh, I've seen these you know these documentaries where over in Africa, like little kids will earn money, and the money that they get on their way home, oftentimes they're either robbed or then when they get home, their family members rob them and take their money. It's pretty ridiculously horrible. Like, yeah, I just I, looked it up. 1.7 billion people on the planet don't have bank accounts. So once they get orange pilled, you know, the God candle is inevitable. But, you know, once they understand that they can just have a, a phone and have a bank account, I think that's the message that we need to rely relay as much as we can. Right. Like you can be your own bank. And it's hey, not. Chris, it, yeah, it's not just have a bank account. It's they're the bank. Absolutely. Good morning and welcome to the stage. Nat Brunel, how are you doing? Good morning, everyone. I'm doing well. How's everybody doing? Doing great. We had a deep philosophical discussion this morning about what is money. Um, we're starting to dig in a little bit now into like Bitcoiner or Bitcoin, I should say, beginner Q&A type questions. Uh, so we'll do that for a little while yet. We've also got um, Alpha on stage. Uh, Alpha Zeta, and we're we want to talk a little bit about Nakamoto portfolio theory uh, as well. So that's that's basically what's going on. And I, and I and it. Nate made a new word, which I would I'm going to start using now. <laughs> oh uh, gosh, custody is a very good word. <laughs> it was put. <laughs> I have no idea where that even came from. It's just verbiage was spewing out of my mouth. It was horrible. Hey, if you use it, I'll take the credit for it, whatever. Uh, but I do have to go because I've got to go fiat mining in order to get more Bitcoin. So it's been a pleasure. Nat, I would love to stick around and have a conversation with you. I, uh, I love your work, but uh, I've got to go. Thanks a lot, Alex, for the philosophical discussion. I will look forward to seeing you again. All right. Thanks. Hope, hope to talk to you soon. Okay. Uh, let's do a couple more minutes. Of, maybe we have a Time for a few more questions and answers with Bitcoin beginner Q&A. And after that, we can start digging into Nakamoto portfolio theory and what you've been doing lately, Nat. Uh, does anybody up here have a common question that they get asked? We could start with that. If you're in the audience, you want to ask a question, you can come up. We'll be kind to you, I promise. You can also ask a question in our Telegram group. That's t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. Any volunteers? Otherwise, I'm going to start calling on people randomly. You know, not, uh, yeah, look, I'll start. One, uh, you know, once you go down this rabbit hole, you don't realize how long you've been down here and things that you just take as, oh, my God, that's just an easy sort of stupid question to ask me. What do you talk about is and I, I get this all the time, had a car in for a repair and I was, I was, I was talking going there for years and Bitcoin it was had been pumping at this point and he gave me the bill. I said, "Oh man, do you do you take Bitcoin?" Because, "Oh man, yeah, oh, I pro yeah, I probably should. That's going really well." I said, "Well, look, man, jump in, man. It, it is still so early here." Goes, "Yeah, well, I can't, I can't afford that. I mean, what, what? I think this back. It was like forty grand at the time. Because I don't have forty thousand dollars just to buy a coin." I was like, "Oh my God, here we go." I, I'm like, "Man, you, you, you know, you don't have to buy a whole coin, right?" He says, "What?" I said, yeah, you, you do. You could buy $5 if you wanted to get started. And he was blown away. And I've had this conversation with colleagues. Like, they they really believe you have to buy a whole coin. And uh, I, I I just take it for granted. Like, it, I thought that was common knowledge. I guess not. But yes, if you're out there listening, you do not need to buy one whole coin. It's good if you can afford it, but you don't have to. 
I was actually going to say the same thing. That's what I encounter a lot too, that it's too expensive and uh, people don't realize, especially the the newbies who um, haven't you know, taken the time to really educate themselves on, on Bitcoin at all. They see it as completely out of, out of the ability to, to, to purchase it because of the price. They don't know about Satoshi's. So I think that we need to do a better job educating people about sats and the fact that it's infinitely divisible which is one of the the most important properties of this form of money. And that's why we don't need an infinite supply or increasing supply of money. Um, But a lot of people don't realize that. So they look at these altcoins and they're less than a penny and they think they can get a ton and that that's that's their their sudden advantage entering into the crypto ecosystem. And so, um, yeah, I think we've got a lot of work to do because a lot of people think that they have to buy one Bitcoin. How I navigate that is you know back in the clubhouse days we would just give away like five ten bucks of bitcoin to anybody that was new and that way they understood you know hey you don't have to buy the whole bitcoin here's 10 bucks keep it save it you know watch it go up and down and then that way they're introduced to it but i agree 100 percent. a lot of people think you have to buy one whole bitcoin they go and buy pepe they get rugged now they're turned off to the entire space even though we tell them and we warn them all the time don't buy it <laughs> don't buy pepe <laughs> don't buy doge be careful, you know, they're going to have to learn the hard way. But I think the best way, in my opinion, and what's worked for me over the last few years is just to give give everybody a little bit of sets, you know, give them some Bitcoin, give them 100,000 Satoshis and like, hey, here's some Satoshis and, you know, let them let them do what they will. Peter, do you have something? I wanted to ask a question. OK, OK, I guess that's <laughs> go ahead. All right. Um, I, I guess what I would like to hear from the people on stage is what their their 30 or 60 second elevator pitch for Bitcoin is if somebody is interested or has shows if you're just kind of discussing it with somebody and I'll give mine first. Mine's pretty simple. I always ask them um, if you had one hundred thousand dollars and what, how would you would you put that in the bank for the next 10 years? And invariably, the question, the the answer is no, because they understand that it's going to have less value in 10 years if they just stick it in the bank. And then I ask them, well, why not? And that's what starts the the discussion. That's my elevator pitch. I don't do it too often, but what I do drum up that conversation, uh, especially you're traveling um, and you know, you're sitting next to someone, you're just, just getting to know them. But I, I invariably it turns to the economy for one you get moving down and i say hey listen uh what what asset what assets do you own that cannot be um taken from you or confiscated and you see them like think and i you know i say yeah out of your your house your cars bank accounts retirement accounts and you just see them going through and they say well nothing it can all be taken away i said well let me tell you about this little thing called bitcoin and they get i mean you once you start to 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 describe what it's like to hold these private keys and and having value outside of this system, everything outside of the Swiss system, outside of of government and government, you know, regulations and reach. I mean, granted, there's regulation if you if you're going to sell it and whatever you got your tax liabilities there. But when they when you see the light bulb go off that they can actually have value outside the system that they control, that, that's a that's a fun one to watch happen. I'll go next. Um, and I think you have to tailor it to, we, we talked about this in the space before. I think you have to tailor it to who you're speaking to. 
most investors understand how money works, but majority of the individuals and people out here don't understand how money works. So uh, my example that I would use is real estate. I would say, hey, you know, back in the day when your parents were growing up, they could buy a house for $50,000, right? Now the average house is $300,000. Do you know why that is? Most people would say, hey, that's because the, the value of the house has gone up, duh. And I'll be like, no, actually the US dollar has gone down in value that much. And from there, I would spark the conversation about Bitcoin. So that's how I would orange pill. That's very good. I like it. Morpheus, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Do you have a question? Uh, no, I was just going to just add into uh, what everyone was talking about. So at least for me, uh, at least right now, the way I could describe to somebody is uh, I just just talk about the current events that are just happening with them. So, so for example, with all like the different bank runs that are happening right now, um, I just, just started asking some questions on that. So like, all right, so uh, all right, you guys see these bank runs happening. Uh, do you know why the bank runs are happening? Or some people don't even know what a bank run is. So I would just start explaining to them exactly how like bank runs work with, and then slowly go on to, you know, fractional reserve banking without um, saying fractional reserve banking, just kind of like slowly explaining to them why that like bank runs happen. And then just start slowly moving over to just how banks run in general. And then, that way they kind of understand it and that way you're just not talking just straight bitcoin to them because most people just get turned off immediately as soon as you start saying like the word bitcoin and then you know once they're explaining like how like banks work then just start talking you know slowly going to bitcoin a little bit and explaining like all right well these, here's some reasons why um bitcoin's here like this is like this is like help um it's like you know go into things like uh talking about like the 21 million supply and then just start slowly going into, you know, what um, Natalie was saying earlier about um, how we can't, how we have a fixed supply. So, you know, just kind of like just break it down slowly to them. Okay. I'm curious, Morpheus, do you, do you have any idea how many people you've, you've quote, orange-pilled? Um, orange-pilled? Uh, let's see here. No, I wouldn't say like a whole lot of people. I mean, you know, just, I guess like a small amount of people, but people that I actually, you know, like just come across and like, talk to you about it i could say a decent amount but um yeah yeah, right. yeah cool thanks for coming up man thanks for joining us up let's move on with alpha zeta i want to talk a little bit about nakamoto portfolio theory uh hafa explain this thing a little bit for people who haven't heard anything about it and uh where do you think this goes as, as far as the usefulness of this tool yeah, it's it's been really exciting. Well, well, the, the last two months, man. You know, if you asked me two months ago where this would be heading, you know, never say that would be catching up this quickly and you know, going the ways that it is. But uh, just giving a step back, uh, the Nakamoto portfolio theory, right? It started uh, as kind of like the first pillar of Swan research. So when I started publishing research at Swan. I wanted to do a couple of things. The first one, I wanted to make sure that everything was very close to the Bitcoin ethos, which means that all the research is open source. It's of course, I don't need to say this, but it's all Bitcoin only. It's very transparent. It's available to anybody. Anybody can look at the calculations that we make uh, very different than what we've seen in traditional research, right? What we want to do here at the end of the day is something that again, it's open source, free, available to the whole community. And it's not because we're nice, it's because at the end of the day, and we are nice, but it's not because of that, it's because we want to increase adoption of Bitcoin, right? At the end of the day, everybody's very aligned on this. And we see these tools as being very uh, powerful in, in bringing adoption. Uh, 
so in the first pillar of the of um, the, the Nakamoto of the Swan Research, uh, what we thought about doing was starting to create a set of tools that would help people see how Bitcoin could fit in their overall asset allocation, right? As I said before, this is something that it's kind of like one of the first questions that you get when you sit down, person understood that they need to have Bitcoin in their portfolio, that they understood that there is a value on it, and they're going to ask you, but you know, should I put 1%, should I put 10%, should I put 100%, right? Um, so answering that question, and for an, an individual, it's already hard. Uh, for an institution, for a corporation, for you know, an endowment, for a pension fund, uh, it's much harder because they need to justify what they're doing. They need to understand exactly what's happening, right? They need to create a plan for that. Um, so what I did, I got, I got a lot of the tools that I already had developed um, the years that I worked in Wall Street. And I pretty much just made them available and, and ready to go with Bitcoin. So there are a couple of different things that we have um, on, on the Nakamoto portfolio. And you can go to nakamotoportfolio.com, the website. Um, and there's a, all of this is going to be there. But uh, the main tool there um, is a portfolio analytics tool. And what it does is you can go in there. You can customize any portfolio. You can put, you know, let's say, for example, you have bonds, S&P, euro stocks, as I just mentioned earlier, although you shouldn't, but let's say you do. Uh, then you can simulate very quickly how that portfolio would look with a Bitcoin allocation, right? So you can say, okay, so what would have happened to this portfolio in the last one year, five year, 10 years, if I included a 1% Bitcoin allocation? And what we see with that, that kind of like breaks a lot of the, the myths that people have in their minds. Uh, big one is, well, if I add Bitcoin to my portfolio, it will increase the volatility of my overall portfolio, and you know, and that's not necessarily true. There are periods in time that Bitcoin actually reduces the volatility of the portfolio. The other one is, well, you know, Bitcoin is down 50, 60, 70, 80 percent. What that's going to do to my portfolio, right? So we can very easily see periods where that happened in the past and how that would have impacted your portfolio. It's all very visual. Uh, the other thing that uh, We've been seeing that it's been good there is that this is the language that Wall Street speaks. This is the language that asset managers understand. This is the language that, you know, uh, financial advisors talk to their clients. So everybody's used to seeing things in the way that we're showing, showing what the returns are, of course, but also what the volatility is, what is the correlation of Bitcoin to other asset classes, to other assets that they have in their portfolio. And again, it's all there, it's all free, you know, it's all customizable. You can run with anything, any portfolio that you want. You can actually, you know, in include things like uh, FRED, the, 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 the database, right? Uh, the Federal Reserve database, it can include indices there, it can include CPI. Of course, they're not investable, but you could compare them to, to Bitcoin. You can put M1, again, it's very powerful. There are a lot of different things. Um, and we launched this, you know, <laughs> curiously in, in a, on a spaces uh, maybe two months ago. We, you know, the, the platform wasn't really ready to to go. But I said, you know what? Let's let's just see uh, what kind of traction we get. And uh, man, I was surprised to see how people like to to look at the portfolio allocation because that that thing just took off. Um, you know, we had uh, close, I think, to, in the last month, 200,000 uh, page views. Uh, so again, it's it's working as intended. More importantly, it's leading to very interesting conversations. Uh, 
Um, you know, we can get into the details soon. Uh, Dom Dombey had a phenomenal idea about you know a few weeks ago that we uh, we went out and implemented to start looking at some large pension funds endowments and then just question you know why they don't have uh, Bitcoin in their portfolio. And again, it becomes very easy with this tool, right? We go there, we get their asset allocation, which is public. We put on the tool and we see uh, what could happen. The other thing we do there is also you know, not only look backwards, but there's the potential to do simulation. So you know, can actually simulate portfolios, look on, on a forward basis, and uh, and this is the portfolio analytics tool. And then I'll, I'll stop here, but just so people understand, it's just one tool. We have other tools, other research pieces that we included. There's one in real estate, you know, putting to ground some of the things that people believe about real estate. Uh, there's one, you know, as we discussed earlier about the monetization or the demonetization of major assets into Bitcoin, right? Uh, there's you, you can check the yield curve. And what we're building here, we're trying to get as much financial information as possible in one place uh, in a way that people can, as I said, copy, paste, uh, duplicate, do, you know, submit PRs to, to the code so that this, this would help the com community at the end of the day. Yeah, it's Hoppe, fantastic. I, I just wanted to jump in and say, um, Hafa, it was such an honor to speak on stage with you and Lynn Alden at the Bitcoin conference where you shared about the Nakamoto portfolio. And if any of you guys are sitting at a computer right now, um, even if you're at work, you know, just open up a new tab, go to nakamotoportfolio.com. You can, you can play around with it. It's really interactive. And I've always um, been someone who I'm trying to make Bitcoin more approachable to non-technical people because I'm not technical. I cannot code, but you can literally go into the portfolio analytics, um, section of the site and run the numbers and you can plug in different assets. You can plug in the SPY, you can plug in gold, you can plug in Bitcoin and, and change the different allocation levels. Cause I know a lot of people out there, they don't want to go hundred percent Bitcoin. And I, I understand that. And depending on people's, you know, ages and what they're planning for in the immediate future, maybe you still want to allocate to other asset classes, but you can literally see over, over time, what even just a small percentage of your portfolio in Bitcoin does to your net worth and how it optimizes for, for future savings. So if you're able to, while we're talking and while Hafa is explaining his amazing uh, set of tools, which are all open source, head to nakamotoportfolio.com and just, just experiment with it. Because you know if you're uh, in Bitcoin Twitter, you're probably also listening to a lot of the macro voices out there who might be talking about energy infrastructure or or the banking stocks, equities, commodities, gold. Um, just test it out yourself. See what the performance would have looked like if that's how you invested. And then and then, you know, compare it with and without Bitcoin. And I just think, you know, the best way to to teach people is to show them and, and walk them through holding their hand. And so I just really appreciate, Hoppe, how easy you've made this tool. I don't know if you've already talked about the Schrodinger um, model, but I'm really fascinated by that and how you've seen, you know, how this is essentially going to keep sucking liquidity out of asset classes like real estate um, and, and gold and bonds. And so uh, thanks so much, Hoppe, because this is a really fun tool. Thank you, Natalie. Yeah, it was a pleasure to, to be on stage with you in Miami as well. And, uh, and it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it, you know, funny thing. As I said, when we launched this, uh, I, I just had a flashback because when we launched this the first time here on, on Spaces, 
the website, you know, was pretty much running on a, on a very low end uh, instance on on uh, on Amazon, and right away, if people just jumped in, it crashed the website. So as you were talking and promoting it, I was just looking here, just you know, ready to see the the site crash, and it didn't. So that that's a good sign. I think mean, now it's much uh, stronger than it was uh, before. Uh, as you said, you said something also very uh, important is, you know, I mentioned we create, when we create the apps, we'll put the code there so anybody can review the code, but a lot of people don't code, right? And that, and that's fine. So what we try to do is not only have the code, but also have a web application that it's very easy for anybody to change the number. So, you know, as Natalie was saying, uh, there's a model that I feel that is called the Schrodinger model. Go very quickly through it, and, and there's a there's a white paper in it on the website that explains it in detail. But what it is in very simple terms is I went through all the asset classes that I mentioned, right? So there's like stocks, bonds, gold, silver, real estate, art, right? Looked at the market cap of these asset classes, and then we can make some assumptions, right? The assumptions can be right or wrong, but they are just assumptions, and you can change the assumptions on the model. And you can say, okay, let's take a look at gold, for example, right? Gold is a $10 trillion uh, market cap, you know, estimated, depending how you look, but that's something around that, right? Uh, you say, okay, from that 10 trillion, how much is monetary premium? How much it's really because it's not industrial use, it's not because somebody wants to have jewelry, right? It's because people bought gold to store value as we were speaking earlier today, right? Uh, let's assume, for example, and again, it can change the assumptions, but let's assume, for example, it's 50% of that, of that amount, right? Okay, it's 50% of that amount. And then you can put a probability, you can say, and then I think that the probability of Bitcoin capturing that monetary premium is, you know, 50%, for example, right? And if you do that and say, and that's going to happen, and then you put time to it, because you have to say, well, it's going to happen today, in two years, in 10 years' time, right? But if you think that's going to happen in two years, for example, and again, just giving an example here, price of Bitcoin, just because of that probability that you applied to gold, should be around $100,000 today, just because of gold, right? Uh, so if you assume that there is a probability that Bitcoin will capture that uh, that market gap and, did, you know, that map, and that monetary premium is 50%, and that's going to happen in two, three, four, five years, right? This is how much the price of Bitcoin should be trading, not tomorrow, but today, because you're discounting that through time, right? And what this model, I think the, the ultimate goal of this model is, of course, to prove a couple of things, right? It's definitely not to get to what a fair value price of Bitcoin would be. I think that, you know, trying to predict price, uh, it's, it's a fool's game. Nobody can predict the price because, you know, it's very early. There's demand exploding, you know, from one side or the other. You may have, you know, people selling and buying in big amounts and you never know when that's going to happen. You know, have things like FTX that will hit you. So it's impossible to predict price exactly in time. What we can predict is the direction of where we're heading. And when you do that, you can very quickly get to a point that you get to two conclusions. You're going to see that, the price is very, very low. You know, if you if you do the opposite calculation and say, okay, here's where the price is, what is the probability that the current market price, that the market is pricing that these events are going to happen? And you see that the probability priced right now is very, very low, right? Which again means that very few people are looking at this in in this way, right? And then the second one, which I think is also as important, is that it shows that uh, volatility 
is a feature, not a bug, because as you change these numbers slightly, you don't need to change much, right? But play around and you say, okay, what happens if I change the monetary premium in gold from 50 to 60%? What happens if I change the probabilities from 50 to 55%, right? And you see that the impact on price, because you're talking about very, very large numbers, right? Go to real estate. Real estate is, of course, the, it's it's the largest largest asset there. It's three hundred and twenty trillion dollar market cap. So any small changes that you have in in uh, in the probability of capturing moves from that asset into Bitcoin is going to have a massive impact in price, right? And again, it's good that we have volatility because it means that these numbers are still very, very low and it can 5x, 10x, right, depending on where, where we move. The other thing that it does, and then I'll stop here, but just to, to conclude, is that it will show you in a sense also, I think, if you think about it, like when you go to a bear market, collectively, yeah, you know, each of us is making these, it's kind of calculating these assumptions in our minds, right? What is the probability that Bitcoin is going to capture real estate, right? Well, I used to be a real estate investor. I sold everything. And, you know, of course, you, you know where that ended up, right? So that's already happening in my mind, in my framework. Um, but as you go through a bull market, you see people will increase those probabilities in their mind, right? And that, of course, is going to make price go up very, very quickly. Uh, they are not making this exact calculation, but in a sense, right, intuitively, this is exactly what, what's happening in the in the background. But again, if, everybody should check the, the model out and make the, their own calculations, change the discount rate, change the the premiums, the and see again, see see for yourself what, what you think. You know, the price should be according to to your own probabilities. Alpha, there's two things that I wanted to ask you about. The first is you guys just recently did the episode one of Nakamoto Gauntlet, where you analyzed, uh, I believe it was a teacher's pension fund. Uh, so the first question is, do you have any highlights from that that you think are interesting? And the second question is, I also noticed that you recently tweeted out, I guess it's uh, North Carolina has a $50,000 budget to analyze the impact of Bitcoin on the state's balance sheet, and you are offering to go run the analysis for them for free. <laughs> uh, do you have any thoughts on those two things? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go first through the, the Nakamoto gauntlet. Uh, I don't know if Don Bay is here on this on the stage, but uh, this this was his original idea. He reached out to me. He looked at the Nakamoto portfolio analytics, right? And he said, Hafa, you know, what about what we do? Why don't we do this to just pick a manager, right? Uh, and it could be a fund. It could be a well-known fund. It could be a hedge fund manager, right? We pick their portfolio and let's put it in the in the in the analytics too. Uh, and you know, let's make let's pretend we are a board and we're making a decision if we should be adding Bitcoin to the portfolio or not, right? So we talked a little bit, and then we decided the first one that we were gonna do was on the Ontario teachers' uh, pension. Uh, and then, of course, we were joined by by Greg Foss and by Joe Carosali, and uh, each each of us, you know, opined a little bit of how we thought about the the asset allocation. And their asset allocation is public. So I pick, I opened their investment policy. Uh, I looked at what the benchmarks were and I plugged all of these in the in the Nakamoto portfolio. Now the cool thing is that after I did this, we now have it saved, right? So we can track and see how their portfolio is performing. And at the end of the show, uh, we decided that, you know, we were gonna allocate, put some Bitcoin allocation in our theoretical allocation. The suggestion that we had was to start with 2%. 
which may not seem like much for most of us, but uh, you know, you have to get the, the you know, a, a, an endowment, a pension, uh, a foundation. They're not going to go from zero to ten percent Bitcoin overnight, right? Even a two percent allocation is already aggressive in terms of how they move. But what we know is that as you get started and you start to understand the asset, and you know, then then you have the incentives to really understand and really do a, a deep dive into why that asset works well, right? Um, and start seeing things in different perspectives. So we suggested a 2% allocation. We included that on the, if you go to the Nakamoto portfolio website, again, there's a tab there about the Nakamoto gauntlet. And uh, there we have, uh, we're gonna be tracking this and we're gonna see how how it's gonna perform going forward. We already have some ideas for uh, for the next show. So we, we did this show this week. It was the first one, we give very good feedback. Um, uh, you know, a lot of suggestions around the next managers and next funds that we should be thinking about, uh, from super funds in Australia to, you know, pension funds in, in Brazil, in Portugal, like we got a little bit of everything, which is very, very cool. Um, you know, Cowper's was a big one, of course, that people keep, keep mentioning we should look at, you know, and at some point we will, I think, turn further down the, the, the road, but we want to do it, you know, this is open to the managers and to, to the CIOs of these funds to come on stage with us, right? It's a way for them to actually get free analytics that we're going to do the, this kind of analytics that we're doing here, as I said, is the same thing that we would do for, you know, large endowments, foundations, family offices in Wall Street, exactly the same quality that I'm showing them, right? Um, so uh, the goal is, again, to, to get people engaged, interested, and speak in a language that they already speak, right? They, they, when they look at things like sharp ratio, correlation, again, these are all things that they, they are used to seeing different managers. Uh, I told the story here, I think in the last state, I'm going to tell this again, because I think it's very relevant, is uh, I had a partner, right, somebody that I really, really liked, um, and, uh, you know, he was business partner with me, and uh, at some point, you know, I told him, like, oh, you should buy some some Bitcoin, and this is a guy that, you know, have invested in hedge funds for a long, long period of time, right? So, uh, including Madoff, he had an investment in Madoff, and he couldn't get a, get a, his head around Bitcoin, right? He had the same things in mind that everybody has, like, oh, the government's going to ban this, you know, how can I make sure that it's 21 million, that it's out there, all the typical questions, but he couldn't break through, he couldn't buy it. So, what I did is I actually got the returns of Bitcoin uh, and I printed in a sheet that looked exactly like a hedge fund manager and I presented to him and I said, you know, here's this is there's this new manager that I'm thinking about investing, uh, has very good returns in most of the years, but some years, you know, he really crashes down. Uh, so I'm thinking about investing uh, and I actually told him, like, I invested on this guy. What do you what do you think about? It? And he looked at it and he's like, wow, this manager, you know, is really good. I like this volume volatility because it's very good in most of the years, right? And it's uncorrelated to my assets, right? And he didn't get it. But then, you know, a few few minutes later, he calls me back and he's like, oh, these are Bitcoin res returns, right? Like, yeah, these are Bitcoin res returns. And that got you him. But uh, that kind of um, opened my eyes that, you know, it, to, to the point that it's really important to show the, the to, to try to speak the language that the per person understands, right? Uh, I could talk to him, you know, until I was dead about decentralization, about, you know, um, consensus and all of that. He couldn't care less, right? Uh, even the 21 million cap, this guy, for him, it, it didn't really matter. But as soon as I talked to him about, you know, how those returns were uncorrelated to his overall portfolio, how he had very good returns in a lot of years, that 
got him to 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 really appreciate it, and he he is a big Bitcoin investor now. Uh, and then just to to close up, right? So uh, I I opened up. Uh, I saw this actually yesterday, but this morning I opened up. I saw in detail that uh, there's a proposal for North Carolina to uh, actually put Bitcoin on the on the state's balance sheet. Uh, and it's, I I didn't read in too much detail the 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 filling, but uh, it, you know at the end of the day it says that it says things that we know that's a good way to protect against inflation, all of that. Uh, but then one thing caught my attention is that there is a in one line saying that they're going to spend fifty thousand uh, dollars to conduct uh, research on this, uh, and that I you know <laughs> I jumped on that. So listen, you know don't spend anything. I'll do all of that for free, right? We got our team at Swan. We'll do the analytics. We'll do 100% for free and go and buy, you know, 1.6 Bitcoin, however it is, with the with the 50,000. So you get get a head start. You don't need to, you know, spend spend any any other assets into this analytics. And uh, and yeah, and, it, and the the proposal is open. I hope that they take it. Even if they don't take it, I think that you know this may be one that we should do in 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 one of the shows. And even if we don't do in one of the Gauntlet shows. I should just do an analytics and put it out there. And because uh, at the end of the day, I, and I truly think this, I think that a lot of these managers, they're breaching their fiduciary duty to their investors and to their pensioners and to their clients by not analyzing Bitcoin. It's okay if they take a look, if they analyze and they get to the conclusion that it doesn't fit for reason A, B, C, and D. But I can tell you, they're not doing that. They're not even analyzing it, right? And that is a very clear breach of their fiduciary duty to, to, to their investors at the end of the day. Man, I'm glad we got Dom. Thank you for all of that. That was really cool. I'm glad Dom Bay came back up because, Dom, I wanted to ask you something. If Whether or not they accept this offer for a free analysis of the portfolio, if you guys did this on the next Nakamoto Gauntlet, for example, you could, if I'm not mistaken, you could just email the analysis to all of the allocation board members, right? And copy, theoretically, the entire union. Is that a thing? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of options, um, you know, as we had. Can you guys hear me okay? Because I'm in Yeah, a you're good. Okay, perfect. Um, there's options, uh, you know, with the Ontario Teachers Pension. That was our, our first portfolio we analyzed. Um Elliot had worked with them in the past, but he wasn't a direct representative. And uh, with with uh, you know with Alpha Zeta's ability to just attach the analysis to the show, we can get it to people in the state. We can show people. We can get stakeholders to take a look. So there's so many options. I will say, uh, Hoffa, we did. I think I think the uh, they did tweet back and confirm that they they're uh, interested in going on the show. And the this uh, the folks that got back were part of the initiative approved by the lieutenant governor. So I think they're interested. And obviously, you made an unbelievable point with saving 50K. I mean, whether they go through with a deeper analysis to start off with a with a panel and team uh, like on the gauntlet and get an analysis, the value is like unreal. That, imagine how helpful that would be even if they did decide to go forward with a deeper dive to go look what we have to start with. Uh, and to your point, Alex, we can a hundred percent get stakeholders in the state to look at our analysis and start going like, wow, this is interesting. Natalie, anything? If not, we'll go with puppy. 
Yeah. I mean, I just, I've actually been playing around with the tool right now. I put in, let me tell you guys what I put in. I put in uh, SPY. Oh shoot. I just refreshed it. I put in SPY gold, Apple, Bitcoin, and a ETF for electric vehicle infrastructure, which I think I heard Luke Roman talking about in recent days. Um, and then, and then it pulled all the forms, but I, uh, I just think it's amazing that you can test in real time what these decisions would make. And it really makes me think about what Saifedean really taught me in some of his writing about how investment carries risk. Saving is not supposed to. With Bitcoin, we're trying to save in a low risk way. I know it's volatile right now, but this is the only asset that can never be confiscated with an immutable ledger that's censorship resistant, that's immune to inflation. And I think that that's really powerful because can you imagine for all the people out there, whether they know about Bitcoin or not, they work all day as an accountant or as a carpenter or as an artist or as a graphic designer, and they have to sit there and Google different ETFs and stocks and and try to pick what they're what's going to have money and appreciate over the next 10 years. Whereas Bitcoin to me, especially after all the research I've done, feels the safest with the least amount of effort in the sense that once you actually put in the work and learn about one asset, which is Bitcoin, you can kind of relax about the the rest. Um, instead of, you know, trying to become a portfolio manager or a day trader on the side, which so many people find themselves having to do. And that's the type of research that's required to understand all of these companies. I mean, when it's an actual security and an equity, the amount of disclosure that these companies go through, you, you are... Um, you know, subject to whatever the board of governors does, whatever the executive teams do, and you have no idea what they're going to do because that's people. You're you're trusting people as opposed to a technology network that's just r- run by rules. So I think it's really really powerful to show you. And even just going through it, I'm like, why? You know, why would I have to go through? sitting there and researching for hours or weeks or hiring someone to help me understand all these different stocks and which ones to choose when I can easily just invest at least a portion into Bitcoin and set it and forget it. And Natalie, uh, you know, I think a, a cool thing of doing these discussions is, you know, you start, as I said, with a very small allocation. So a lot of the clients will show them, you know, a one, two, three, you know, most like a 5% allocation to Bitcoin. And that leads to, you know, first of all, they understand the asset that it see that it fits, but then it leads to interesting discussions around, okay, so is bit where does Bitcoin fit? Is it, uh, you know, a currency? Is it a commodity? How should I, is it a, like a hedge fund, an alternative, right? Where does it fit in our portfolio? And I refer a lot that when we get to these discussions to the, that, that scene of the matrix, uh, you know, that we, we all seen the, the meme of the, the, the boy that has the spoon and then the spoon, uh, you know, starts melting and it says, well, don't try to understand that, you know, if to, shouldn't be bending the, the spoon. There is no spoon, right? All the assets that you've been seeing, they're all denominated in dollars, right? So your base is the same. This is an asset that it is the denomination, right? So you haven't had any diversification into other currencies, into other assets until now. Now you have a diversification into into, into the real asset. And that really opens, I think, a whole set of discussions. And it's a, it's a journey, I think, for, for institutions, the same way that it's been a journey for, I think, all of us, right? We start 
questioning, we start trying to understand. Uh, Elliot mentioned something really important on our discussion uh, when we were talking about the Nakamoto gauntlet, which is there's career risk for a lot of the uh, of the managers. And a lot of times they just don't want to talk about it because, you know, if it is one, they buy Bitcoin and Bitcoin is down on their portfolio, everybody's going to point the finger to that, well, this is down, you know, you selected this asset. Why would if they buy as part of their venture capital portfolio, they buy FTX, which by the way, the Ontario teachers bought and they lose money there as part of their venture capital allocation. Nobody questions because, you know, guess what? In venture capital, you are supposed to lose money in some some assets from, from time to time. So again, it, it's been very, very good, I think, to, to be able to kind of like, this has been a door opener to have all of these conversations that, you know, would be, I think, in, in other situations, harder to, to get to. Yeah, just real quick, going um, off that, you know, it, that the it's a two-way educational uh, door in that we get to learn a lot about the, the the challenges that institutions have, and like Zeta was saying, like you know, North Carolina State will have uh, issues and challenges that the Ontario teachers' pe uh, pension doesn't have. Natalie brought up a great point about this concept on like you know, picking stocks and equities and having to monitor conditions. And like, uh, when you look at the state level, staff is busy doing stuff at the state level, right there. There's not, there's no one built into that to be monitoring equities and stocks. And so Bitcoin can slide into their reserve sheet to overcome inflation in a way that nothing else can. But then we also get to learn about like what's standing in the way of that. And, and like Alpha Zeta was saying, when we talk about, if the if the volatility is understood out of the gate, then you can build a strategy that reaps the benefits of the long term outlook on Bitcoin and overcome some of the, you know, pushback they'll get if there were to be a significant drop. Uh, I just want to bring it to everybody's attention that Natalie's latest episode of Hard Money, I believe, is releasing on yeah. the swan handle right now it just released you guys this is such a special video uh for anyone who is a parent especially this is we're calling it generation b and it's bitcoin for the kids like hashtag bitcoin for the kids i know greg foss is not in here but uh we interviewed teens and children of bitcoin parents who have orange pilled their children and helped them understand money and saving at a young age it has some really really cute videos really cute interviews because honestly financial literacy it has to start at an early age and i i'm so proud to to release this piece my my team hunter and hurley they're just the absolute best of the best i worked for over 10 years in, in mainstream news and I've never worked with a team like this. So super grateful for their, for their efforts. And I hope you check it out and enjoy it and share it. It's really exciting to see, uh, what these younger generations are doing and realizing about Bitcoin. Uh, we've had this guy Gen Z for BTC on the show before this guy's, I met him at Miami. He's in it. Is he? <laughs> This is so oh, freaking yes. awesome. <laughs> oh, I can't yeah, wait. We've got Gen Z BTC. We've got Daniel Prince's kids. Uh, we've got, we had submissions. We put out a call for submissions on Twitter. So parents sent in videos of their kids. It's adorable. You have to see it. It'll make your, your week.
Natalie, isn't it amazing the way these kids think about stuff though? Like this guy, Gen Z, when we were talking to him here on this show, like he, he just seemed so aware of what was happening in a way that blew my mind. Cause I wouldn't, I wasn't thinking about those kind of things when I was 13 and I agree. fascinating. Well, and I think that when you talk to kids uh, like adults and and know that they, they have the capacity to learn all of this at a very young age, they can understand money and you can teach them in ways that are very creative. And these kids, have they've absorbed it. And they're our hope, I think, for the future, you know, to help Orange Pill their friends. They're, they're doing it in their schools now. And I, it's really inspiring to me. Yeah, me too. It uh, I agree. Definitely gives me hope for the future. You know, you, I look around at some of these kids and some of them are seem very confused and it, it worries me. And then I run across guys like Gen Z for BTC and I'm like, oh, we're going to make it. It's going to be okay. All right, let's go with Pubby and then BJ. Pubby, what do you got, man? Oh, yeah. Uh, Alex, as I know, you always respect the hands. I get that. Uh, hey, yeah, you know, going back, I, I love all this stuff um, from Alpha here. And, you know, when you talk about a percentage, and that, you want to talk about a, a sick and twisted way to get someone interested in Bitcoin, you just let them know, hey, just start with 1%. And I had read, and I, I got to go and rerun these numbers. Um, since 2000, I think 10, we'll say, or 11, if you had $100 in saving and you just put a dollar of that into Bitcoin, you were still, you're still pulling 10% returns, even as the currency is being debased. Uh, but I'll tell you what, that initial foray into Bitcoin, within that first halving cycle at the end, you found out that your 1% or 5% is now half of your portfolio if you have money in, I don't know, retirement accounts or anything else. So it's fascinating to watch. I'm glad Dom's up here too, because I'm curious um, when who, when it comes to these pension funds about, you know, the ones on this board, and I, and I know Alpha talked about the fiduciary responsibility, but when they get to a, uh, there's some that get to a certain spot where if they have Bitcoin in there, and we all know this too, after that first cycle, at some point um, there's, there's rules and regulations where they have to rebalance at a certain point when that investment gets to be, uh, too heavy. Um, I don't know if you guys can speak to that. Yeah, uh, I'll go first. So, um, if you actually look, um, and I put this on the, on the Twitter thread that I, uh, where I talk about, uh, the, the program and, uh, the Ontario teachers, what they'll do is that they'll publish their target asset allocation, you know, every quarter. So, um, and that that's going to change, right? So, the, if you look at the target asset allocation of Ontario teachers right now, uh, you'll see things like, for example, real estate, right? They have a minimum and a maximum. They have like minimum of 12% that can they should be allocated, and a maximum of 32%. And they have what their long-term asset mix is, which is where they should ultimately be in the long term, which is 22%, right? Really, really high, by the way, for for real estate. Um, so they will do that across different asset classes, and that will guide how much they should have. So if if they had the Bitcoin allocation, right? So as we suggested, that our allocation, our theoretical allocation, is between one and three percent, right? And right now we are two percent. Let's say you know six months down the road, Bitcoin doubles in price, and that two percent and everything else is stable, right? It didn't change. So that two percent became four percent of the portfolio. What would happen if we had that investment policy statement? We would actually reduce that to 3%, which is the cap of the maximum allocation that, that you should have, right? Uh, now, 
this also works the other side, which is it's good and kind of like smoothens return as you go a long time, which is, let's say, for example, we put a 2% and then, you know, six months down the road, Bitcoin, you know, dropped 50%. So that 2% became 1%. Uh, we're actually going to top that off again to 2%. So we're going to buy Bitcoin when Bitcoin is down. So this process of, um, of re-weighting, it's not bad uh, by definition. It's movements returns at the, at the long term, right? And it may actually help in a period where Bitcoin is is going down. Uh, fun story. First time we we, we you know I, I promoted this and we we put it out there. Foss was here on stage as well, and Greg automatically you know goes like, of course you know gets all excited about the math and everything. Goes there and punches his numbers. And he's like, half I don't understand. I put Bitcoin in our portfolio here, right? And the S&P portfolio, and I'm seeing a 90% drawdown in my portfolio. What is happening? And, and you know, we're in the middle of the space. So I said, Greg, you know, when we're done, I'll take a look and then I'll come back to you. So then I take a look at the portfolio. He created a portfolio of Bitcoin starting in 2014 that never rebalanced. And he, even though he put 5% Bitcoin in that portfolio in 2014, uh, you know, that 4% became 100% of the portfolio. Then, of course, you know, when you have a drawdown, that's pretty much how your, your portfolio became uh, pretty much Bitcoin, right? And, of course, you're going to have the drawdown uh, uh, of Bitcoin. And I told you, Greg, you know, this is what happened. You're going to have, you know, an 80% drawdown and you're going to be happy about it because, you know, if you just kept in your other assets, you wouldn't have as much money as you would do right now. And then, you know, but this is the, I think the good thing and bad thing about rebalancing, right? On the upside, of course, you're going to reduce uh, your returns on an asset that it's always going up. All right, uh, BJ, good morning, welcome. Good morning, everybody, great space. Uh, just a couple of things, Alpha Zeta, awesome work. And you brought up a really important point, at least from my perspective, um, and that is fund managers uh, fearing blowback if they get into Bitcoin and, God forbid, it goes down. Um, you know, that's uh, that sort of the, the fear for public shaming uh, is all over the place with Bitcoin. I think we're, we're starting to get beyond that. But, for example, we have a politician in Canada uh, who's going to be running for prime minister who came on board with Bitcoin. And, you know, Justin Trudeau, every time he can bring it up, says, oh, if you would have listened to uh, my opposition and bought Bitcoin, you would have lost all your money. And uh, so I think that's a really uh, valid fear. And, you know, you talk about that Ontario pension fund. Uh, my dad was a teacher and he's living off the Ontario pension fund. He, he was a business teacher, so he understands finance and economics. But you talk about a group of people who really don't get finances, uh, that is a difficult nut to crack within the, uh, the teacher's uh, area. So I think not only is it valuable for us to orange pill people who are in positions to kind of to move the network effect into these institutions, but we also need to teach them how to message against the smears. Uh, we've seen the smears over and over again. They get recycled. Uh, so along with once they understand Bitcoin, it's, yeah, okay, now now that you're in the Bitcoin, this is how they're going to attack you, and this is how you uh, push back against it. Great work, guys. Thank you. You reminded me of something else as well. You know, uh, at the end of the day, as you mentioned, the most important thing is that, you know, there are real people behind uh, these pensions, right, that they need to receive these assets. And in the, in the case of uh, Ontario teachers, 
they write in their, and by the way, they are one of the best pension funds out there, right? They have very good asset allocation. The returns are okay. Uh, they're actually good in the long term, right? So, you know, we, we picked one of the best. And even there, you know, there are a lot of things that really concern us. One of them is that they say that they need to have uh, their long-term return needs to be uh, 5.75% or inflation plus 3% and something, right? And if you actually look in the last few years, um, you know, in their statements, they they and they put in bold letters like it's a good thing. They've returned like four percent. So yeah, they're not even beating that that uh, that benchmark that they need to to have, which means that you know it's not going to be a problem in one year. It's not going to be a problem in five years. But you know, ten, twenty, when you're talking about these long-term asset allocations, right? They need to be worried about what's going to happen in twenty years from now and thirty years from now. And it's not going the right direction right now. <laughs> and their job is going to become harder and harder. And one of the things that we start, you know, I started to see some things that I don't like. Like, for example, because this has been happening, uh, and I don't know if it's because or not, but my conclusion is that it's exactly because of that, is they've built leverage on their portfolio. And they've built, you know, explicit leverage. So their portfolio can go up to 10% leverage on the upside. And again, leverage cuts both ways, right? Could be good, could be bad. You know, when you when you have leverage on a very volatile asset, you know that that's going to hurt. So they can have up to 10% leverage on their portfolio, but also implicit leverage. You look in their credit portfolio, for example, uh, and they have leverage loans. That's you know big part, like nine percent of their portfolio uh, in in credit that it's leverage loans. So there is more leverage in there because they are swimming against the current, right? The river, the inflation river is just coming at them stronger and stronger, and they have to swim harder and harder just to stay where they are, right? And one way to do that is to to build leverage, which again they, they shouldn't. It, but uh, yeah, that, that 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 those are things we start to see when we we dig a little bit deeper into into these analytics. Quick follow up to that, you know, my uh, my other brother, I uh, used to manage <laughs> Ontario uh, Teachers Pension Plan when he was at Ernst and Young, and yeah, they are quite good. But from what I understand, they were heavily weighted uh, on property, uh, especially when they had a large uh, interest in uh, Cadillac Fairview. I don't know how much they still hold of it. Uh, or at least owned uh, Cadillac Fairview, but have uh, you ever broached the um, the framing of Bitcoin as property uh, with uh, any of these sorts of institutions, or that doesn't come up? It's rare. I, I think to to get that leap, you know, takes a, a little bit of education. Uh, usually, they will look at. Yeah, I've seen that the easiest way to position Bitcoin is to tell them, think about this as just being another manager in your portfolio. This is a hedge fund, like because they buy hedge funds all the time that you know won't tell them what they're doing. They could be buying, you know, whatever it is, and they, they just won't tell them what, what they're doing, right? Um, so if, when you position like that, just say, okay, just look at the returns. Forget about everything else, right? Just look at the returns. See if this asset, how this asset behaves with the overall portfolio, and that kind of gets gets across I think a little bit more easily but the goal is exactly as you mentioned is to get them to put a little bit understand and then you start having the other discussions right where does this fit it is a commodity is this property right is this a currency uh, by the way they have for example other things right they you mentioned real estate they have between as I said between 12 to 32 percent of their portfolio in real estate you go into their equity portfolio right 
it's close to 7% of their active portfolio is Microsoft. So heavy, heavy concentration. They just increased their, their position in Netflix, right? I mean, they need to be, in order to, to perform and to pay people, they need to be some of, uh, among the best managers in the world, right? It shouldn't be this way, right? <laughs> for, for, for a pension fund, right? It shouldn't be this way, but it is that if they don't do that, they're not going to be able to, to pay the pensioners at the end of the day. Okay, we're pretty much at the end of the show time today. Let's go with one more question from Don Bay or one more comment from Don Bay. I'm gonna, I would like to get some closing comments from, from Hoffa and Natalie, and then we will move to wrap. Dom, what do you got? I'll save the closing comment because it's a long one uh, and defer and more to come on this. I can't wait till you guys' next show. It's going to be so dang awesome. You guys, you guys have figured something out here. I think this is like a, a special thing. You guys have figured out and it's going to be, um, man, this is, it's going to be awesome. Hoffa, do you have any closing comments you want to make? No, I want to thank Dom for coming up with this amazing idea. You know, I just run the numbers, man. You know, I'm, I barely speak English. He's the one with the, with the idea. So, you know, and it is, you're right, Alex. I think it has good potential. We're very excited. If people have any suggestions in, in contacts, you know, they would like to put us uh, in touch with, just uh, hit us up. When analyze Berkshire Hathaway portfolio? Soon. <laughs> Looking forward to that one. Natalie, any closing comments before we wrap here? Uh, thank you so much for having me, guys. I hope everyone checks out our story, The Bitcoin Generation, uh, on Coin Stories. My last guest was Matt O'Dell, and we talked about some of the SIM swaps that have happened to even prominent names like Preston Pish and Pete Rizzo and Peter Schiff. So learn how to protect yourself and look forward to coming back on Cafe Bitcoin in a couple weeks. Awesome. I'm uh, going to go watch that after this. Okay, guys, that's pretty much it. Uh, end of the show. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. This is also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. If you cannot catch the live show on Twitter Spaces, you can throw myself or the at Swan handle uh, a follow to be notified of when these shows drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of the show, my crew, Aunt Peter, Sats for Life, Wicked Producer Jacob. I'm your host, Alex Danzik. And I work with Swan. If you want to know more, shoot me a DM. I'm happy to help you. Thanks again to the speakers, Nat, for uh, hosting today. Uh, Hoffa for coming on. The crew who comes on here on the regular. All you guys that just show up here unpaid with your own time. Teaching people about Bitcoin, man. I admire that so much. And uh, thank you for doing it. This is what we call getting on the mission. If you don't know what that means, hang out. You'll figure it out. Love all you guys. Get out there. Have a great day today and crush it. <laughs>